Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 217, Theater Superstitions, yo. You know, I couldn't think of a better topic to discuss on our five-year anniversary. We've been doing this for five years. Oh my God, that's longer than I was in college and the same length of time you were in college because you got a bunch of work experience. I did, I did. I did a five-year program and I worked for a year and a half in my field and it was great and it didn't lead to anything. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Well, Julia, I, uh, I, I couldn't imagine um, doing such a long project with anybody else. And I'm so thankful that this is such a part of our week. We used to exhaustedly record in my apartment from like 8 to 10 p.m. And then you had an hour and a half commute home. Sure did. And it was fun still, but uh, less sustainable. And so I'm just I'm so grateful to you and to all of our patrons for helping make this our jobs. Yeah, it is so great to be able to record this on a weekday and not commute to your apartment at uh, eight o'clock at night. What a long, strange trip it's been. And I definitely am going to make sure that I don't say the name of the Scottish play in a podcast studio, just in case, just in case. Whoops, whoops. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear all about it. This is a great episode and I can't wait to get to it. But first, we have to thank those who just joined our Patreon, Ingrid, Brianna, Ryan, Katie and Lex, the future urban legend. Really courting disaster there, Lex. I respect it. Thank you very, very much for joining. Thank you very much. And thank you to our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jen, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Keegan, Nieselkins, Liz, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Skyla, and Sammy Todd, as well as our legend-level patrons, Audra, Drew, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, Mark, Morgan, Necro Royalty. An upgrade. Ooh, what an upgrade. <laughs> Renegade and Be Me Up Scotty. What all wonderful people. I hope that you get a private performance of your favorite play when it is safe to go to theaters again. Uh, A thousand percent. Speaking of which, Julia, I uh, spent much of last night listening to um, musical soundtracks a little bit weepy. Uh, What have you been reading, watching or listening to? Well, Amanda, you recommended in episodes this book so many times, but I don't think it's been an official recommendation. So what I'm going to recommend is the book that I'm currently in the middle of, which is Cleopatra, A Life by Stacey Schiff. Do you see the stuff about incense? It's amazing. It's so good. We just got to Caesar's death and her leaving Rome and all the stuff with Octavian and Mark Antony. And it's, it's incredible. It's so good. We knew so little about her. I know. I know. I literally was like, oh, I don't know, like a vaguely too beautiful queen and there is just so much more to it i uh, i love that book i'm so glad you're liking it it's so good thank you for the recommendation again and our listeners should pick it up as well you're so welcome and speaking of which everybody if you're looking for more stuff to listen to after you catch up on spirits this week uh meddling adults is back with season three that's very exciting today uh and some pretty great guests this season as well and there have been all kinds of really fun crossovers and uh and guest appearances on multitude recently julia was on exolore a few months ago uh eric silver was on exolore lore and potterless you can hear mike twice every other week on horse and potterless along with adam and uh exolore is just on a roll loving moya so much and loving loving this content mill we call life That makes it sound sad. We really do love it, though. We really do love it, though. Particularly, I really enjoyed um, the the debate we had in Head Heart Gut this month on kitchen appliances. I go 
hard for the toaster oven. You can hear me do that tomorrow, Thursday. And it takes just five bucks if you want to join our multi-crew. It's a fantastic way to support Multitude and help us do cool, weird, new stuff. That's at multicrew.club. I love doing cool, weird stuff. Hopefully we get to do more cool, weird stuff in 2021. That's the plan. Well, without further ado, everybody, enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 217, Theater Superstitions. Bang, bang. And happy anniversary, Jules. Happy anniversary, Amanda. Okay, Amanda, I just wanted to say that I think this is going to be a great episode. And before we really get into it, you know, I just want to wish you good luck. Oh, why? um, About what? What am I doing? Or I would wish you good luck, Amanda, except you and I both know as perennial theater nerds who cut our teeth in an extremely aggressive high school theater program that too aggressive wishing anyone good luck is actually, in fact, very bad luck. Yeah, you got to tell me to break my leg. Of course, exactly. Theater people are extremely superstitious people. And for good reason, theaters can be really dangerous places if you aren't careful. You can trip over a costume that you aren't used to yet. You can fall from a ladder while hanging and adjusting lights Mm because maybe those are tall. And uh, don't get me started on the amount of near accidents I've seen happen when you give a 16-year-old access to power tools to build a set. Yep. It's a real dangerous place to be, the theater. It is. It's like, you know what? The 14-year-olds can't touch it, but the 16-year-olds, they're in charge. <laughs> Those two years really make a difference when it comes to a miter saw. Yeah, not not to me. Not to me. And at the same time, Amanda, a play's success hinges on everyone's ability to work together to create the best show possible. And even if that miraculously happens, their fate is still left to the hands and whims of an audience and critics. So when I meant to wish you good luck, before Amanda. What I really meant to say, as you pointed out, was break a leg. Hey, thank you. Because it is better to hedge our bets when it comes to the success of our show, no matter how superstitious it means we have to be. So Amanda, I think that it's time since we have always been theater nerds in our hearts and our minds, and it is our fifth anniversary of doing this show. I wanted to talk about a much requested topic for this episode, which is theater superstitions. Yay! We have touched on this in, I think, roundups. We've touched on it a bunch in uh, your Urban Legends episodes. I love choosing theater ghost haunting situations. But I think this is such a, a lovely and um, and personal, you know, thing to celebrate for our fifth anniversary. Th- that's five years is longer than we spent together in our theater program. That is true. That is true. And Amanda, like we did for the Sailor Superstition episode, I would love if you took guesses at where each of these superstitions came from. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I already have a thesis about why theater people love haunting so much. Great. I also will talk about that and then we can uh, we can discuss at the end. Let's do it, Julia. Break a leg on this episode. You're going to do great. Oh, thanks, Amanda. But that begs the question, why do we say break a leg? Okay. The thing I heard is that You are telling somebody, I hope that you have to bow at the end of the performance so many times that you break your little starched pant line on the costume of yours that gets like starched and and pressed in between each performance. So you have to bow and bow and bow and your knee bends and bends and bends. And then that lovely little line on the front of your pants breaks. I love that one. That's extremely cool. I think that this might, however, predate the starching of pants, perhaps. Wow. Tell me. There are a couple of reasons that I could find, each with as dubious an origin as the next. One historian claims that the phrase dates back to the early 1900s. It was something that was said to 
perspective actors before auditions. Uh, it was a kind of like somewhat joke reason being that if you wished someone that they break their leg, quote unquote, it meant they would wind up in a cast. Get it? But I'm psh. Ah. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, you're you're smiling at somebody and waving at them across the theater and you and you mouth something that should be good luck. But instead, you say, I hope you break your leg and I get the part. Yes, I, I think that is something that a lot of people have said before. But oh, yeah. Another origin theory has to do with the proscenium stage. Do you remember, yes. Amanda, what the proscenium stage is? Oh, our first test in drama class? Yes, I do. It is a, uh, a stage that is framed with a big, beautiful molding and curtain, like a picture frame. Yes, it's from the ancient Greek. And it specifically is like a stage that is divided into areas. And the proscenium is the area of the stage that exists between the curtain and where the pit where the orchestra is. Yeah, on some theaters, it's like a couple feet and on others, it's pretty big and wide. So in a proscenium style stage, the legs are what you call the kind of like tall, narrow drape that hangs at the sides of the stage in order to mask the wings. Ew. So it's they're designed so that you don't see backstage or see the actors or the set pieces before they come on the stage. To break the legs is to pass them in this case. So to get onto the stage and really make it. You know? Oh, nice. It's like breaking the fourth wall in a way because you have to, you know, you have to get past it to be seen. Exactly. And this also comes from uh, vaudeville traditions where actors were not paid unless they made it onto the stage, a.k.a. broke the legs. Mm, so that's nice. a fun one. Yet another theory has to do with the audience. Supposedly in ancient Greece, the audience showed their appreciation by stomping their feet rather than clapping. And so the hope was to perform so well that they stomped hard enough to break their own legs. I hope all of these are true. <laughs> I, I do too. Another has to do with Elizabethan times where instead of applauding again, the audience would bang their chairs on the ground. And the hope here was that they would break the leg of the chair because they were so enthralled with the performance. Very nice. Well, I know that the groundlings had no chairs in the pit in there where the tickets used to be cheap and you brought your sheep along with you. That is um, true. So all, all the rich folks banging chairs, I'd like to imagine one of them breaks it and is like, oh, uh, um, and then just leaves. <laughs> I like it. I like it. They can pay for it, though. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the final ones I wanted to point out is uh, simply a reference to a performer bowing at the end of their performance, kind of like what you said. Uh, breaking a leg in this instance is actually bending one's leg in order to bow or curtsy to the audience. Oh, yeah. All right. I got it. Yeah, exactly. Like you want the audience to applause enough that you are going to get to bow and or curtsy. So, I mean, that's just that's just a hope. Yeah. Now, you might be wishing someone break a leg before your opening night, Amanda, but do you know what is also said to guarantee a good opening? No, I've heard bad dress, good opening. Exactly. Bad Yay. dress rehearsal means a good opening. I, I couldn't quite find the origin on this one. I kind of like imagine some director telling a very disheartened cast that uh, this was the case. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a thousand percent a management trick where you're like, guys, it's good. We got all them. Like, it's true. Like, you get all the mistakes out. You make sure people are attuned to what could go wrong instead of just feeling like we've rehearsed forever. It's opening night. I'm going to go get drunk afterward and just kind of like breeze through the performance. So I absolutely recognize that as a, as a management tactic. Exactly. You don't want them to be in their own heads. The logic, like you said, is that like the 
cast and crew is much more prepared for disaster, which means they're able to anticipate when things go wrong or correct them before they go bad. Uh, an acting coach named Mark Westbrook also chalks us up to probability and statistics. You want to hear this one? Hmm. Yes. So he says, you see, it's something called regression to the mean. It says... Okay, Mark. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay. Well, it says that if the first time you measure something, the measurement is extreme, then the next measurement will be closer to the average. If the second measurement is extreme, then the first will be closer to the average. So this means that if the dress rehearsal is terrible, the first night is much more likely to be tons better. But if the dress rehearsal is okay and the opening night is terrible, then the opening night was still terrible. So yeah. like, I, I see where it comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I see where he comes from, for sure. Yeah, you want that dress rehearsal to be terrible so that the likelihood that your opening night is closer to average or better is is the hope. For us, the dress rehearsal also determined how early our call time was the next day. So if the dress rehearsal had mistakes, A, you needed to go over notes and have people in earlier on opening night, but also the director could ask people to come in in time enough for another rehearsal without pissing them off because that's like, you saw what everyone felt it. We all saw it. We need more rehearsal time. You all saw that it sucked last night, right? Okay, yeah. great. I saw you miss your cue, Jeremy. Did you see you miss your cue? <laughs> So break a leg is supposed to bring a production or an actor good luck, as is a terrible dress. But let's talk about something that is unlucky, because theater people seem to prefer superstitions that bring bad luck rather than good luck, or, or rather, they like to avoid doing things rather than doing things, you know? Sure. Sure. That makes sense. So we'll touch on this one quick because it seems like it comes up in superstitions all the time, whether or not it's theater or sailors or otherwise, and it's whistling. Oh. So it is considered unlucky or a jinx to whistle while backstage. Uh, this time, though, it isn't just a superstition. It's actually very practical. In theaters where the scenery and curtains are controlled by hand rather than like hydraulics or rigging systems, stagehands would signal to each other their cues with whistles. If an actor or someone else in the production was to whistle backstage at an inappropriate or inopportune time, it could be extremely dangerous as the stagehands might interpret that as their cue and like lift or drop scenery onto someone. Yeah, it never even occurred to me. We had just like closed circuit like headsets and it never occurred to me how people did it before those were around apart from just like listening and hoping. Yeah. But that makes complete sense. My version would be if somebody was yelling like 32 go, uh, you know, backstage when and that was not the cue. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, and even now with advanced systems, whistling backstage in a modern theater is still discouraged for whatever reason. It's still kept up with the superstition. And actually, a small fun fact before we move on from this one. Uh, back in the 17th century, theaters would often hire sailors while they were on shore leave or between jobs to run the fly rigs and the curtains, which might be why whistling is considered unlucky, because as we know, sailors were already wary of whistling, as we established in our sailor superstition episode. Oh, I love that. Yes. So good. Labor markets, guys. I like the just the sailors being like, yeah, you know, I don't set off for Belfast for another couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, might as well pick up a job while this production's doing Hamlet. Yeah. And then they're hanging out backstage and someone's like, oh, yeah, who's that guy over there? I don't know. la di da And then whistles. And then he's like, don't. And they're like, OK, don't fine. Fucking yes, do it. OK. Love a good sailor. Here's one that I hadn't heard of before, actually, that I think is probably a little outdated now. But uh, blue is a color that you should never wear on stage, apparently. Why? Because it fucks with the lights and the white balance? 
That's a good guess. That's not the case. Oh. So the superstition reason isn't really clear. I think it's just like one of those colors is unlucky kind of things, you know, like people across different traditions have. But the practical reason for the superstition is actually really interesting and cost effective. Oh. And that's because indigo, which is used for blue dye, used to be really, really expensive. I covered this in an episode, the first episode, in fact, of Head, Heart, Gut, the uh, the show that Multitude makes for members of our multi-crew. And you also had to use urine in early preparations of indigo. You sure did. Did you ever read that spinoff book of The Giver that was just about like natural dyes and stuff? Gathering Blue sure did. Yep, exactly. That's why I knew this one right off the bat. I was like, oh, yeah, it was. That's another uh, Spirits Canonical series, everybody, is is Lois Lowry's The Giver series. The Giver and Gathering Blue and The Sun, which is very sad. It is very sad, but good. But anyway, indigo was super expensive, which meant blue clothing was super expensive. And honestly, it's likely that producers just didn't want to buy such expensive costumes. So they probably started the superstition that these costumes were unlucky. I've also heard that the phrase blue stocking originates in women had to be, you know, like affluent enough to kind of support themselves and more of them had blue stockings, which were more expensive than black ones than than other people. I had never heard the phrase blue stocking before, but that makes sense. Oh, yeah. It's it's meant to be like a, a woman who like like a spinster who likes books, which <laughs> same. Uh, and and it's uh, like Victorian era sort of insult for somebody. And there's a great uh, sex positive feminist bookstore in New York City called Blue Stockings. Ooh, love that. Very cool. So now these are some of the more mundane theater superstitions, but I think once we get back from our refill, we'll dive into the more supernatural superstitions of the theater. There will be ghosts. There will be curses. So let's prep ourselves for all of that with a refill. Or intermission, if you will. An intermission this time. Yes, exactly. Go to the lobby, get your cocktail. The lobby lights will flicker when it's time. All right, see you in 15. Amanda, because it's been so cold lately in my apartment, because it is very, very cold here in New York, I've actually been sleeping better than I usually do. But on nights where I don't sleep well, I'm always grateful to have my Calm app. Ah, it's fantastic. I love that Calm is such a longstanding partner of ours because genuinely, like when you can relieve your anxiety, focus on something else and improve your sleep, it really does make you feel better in every part of your life, your energy, your body, your focus, all of it. It, it's so true. And Calm has a whole library of programs designed to help you get healthy sleep. There are soundscapes, guided meditations, and over 100 sleep stories narrated by people like Kelly Rowland, incredible, and Laura Dern. Heck yeah. Over 85 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds and get better sleep. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com spirits. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content is added every week. So get started today at calm.com spirits. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits. So Amanda, we just got hit by a a big winter storm here in New York. And as a way of kind of preparing for that, because I didn't want to order delivery or go out to the stores during a winter storm, I used DoorDash to get a bunch of stuff that I needed, including some takeout. Ah, fantastic. There's nothing like day two or day three takeout. It really is just the best feeling to remember that you have something delicious in the fridge that you do not have to cook. 
Yeah, and DoorDash connects you with restaurants that you love right now and right to your door. And now you can get grocery essentials through DoorDash as well. You can get drinks, you can get snacks, you can get household items delivered to you in under an hour. Like sometimes I go to the store and I forget deodorant and like, damn, Julia, you need to get some deodorant. Come on. And I can just (laughs) uh, pull out my DoorDash app and order it up. And then I have deodorant because a a nice person comes and delivers it to me from a a socially distanced way. And with over 300,000 partners in the US, in Puerto Rico, in Canada, Canada and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose your favorite national chains like Chipotle or Cheesecake Factory, Amanda's favorite, as we always say. Mm-hmm. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code CREEPYCOOL. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code CREEPYCOOL. Don't forget, that is code creepy cool for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. This is subject to change. Terms apply. And finally, we are sponsored by BetterHelp. This is the way that I get therapy every week, and I love it. I love that I can sit in my calming library and look at my plans and have my fairy lights on all around me and know that if I forget something or I end the call and I'm like, oh, wait, I want to bring up next time, like, whoa, 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 I can really easily in the BetterHelp app correspond with my therapist and leave them a message. I also really like my therapist. I've gone through a couple in my course of better helping because I've done it for a couple years now. And I love that BetterHelp makes it really easy to switch counselors. It's easy and it's free if you need to do that, which is not how it works in the outside world. Yeah, sometimes your your therapist is Faye and you're like, maybe not. And then you can switch very easily <laughs> and for free. And all of the people on BetterHelp are a licensed professional therapist, which is helpful when there are these charlatan Faye's and bone witches all around. <laughs> you can also start communicating with someone in under 48 hours. Again, not how it usually works. And it is also more affordable than traditional offline counseling with financial aid even available. BetterHelp are great to work with. They are great to get therapy from and they want you to start living happier life today. If you haven't tried therapy by now, hearing about us talk about it all the time, listen, now's your moment. It's not too late. So this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Spirits listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spirits. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits for 10% off your first month of counseling. And now let's get back to the show. Now, I'm not going to lie. I got a little sad at the idea of like, the memory of getting cocktails before seeing a Broadway show because I just miss it so much. I never used to buy them and now I will. I'll buy a drink everywhere I go. You go to you go to the bar first because the the bars in the theaters were so expensive. Yeah. And you'd save like two dollars by going to the bar next door rather than the one that was in the theater in the like the little plastic cups. I would fully ask for a plastic cup of ice tip the bartender $10 and then use the flask that I had in my bag to drink my own drinks during Broadway productions. I've done this dozens of times. I've seen I've shared them it. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a what a tradition. I miss it so much. I know. Now I have a vacuum sealed little wine glass sized tumbler um, that I put ice in before I leave. And because of the technology you see, it remains perfectly temped. I love it so much. But champagne kind of feels very like pre-show cocktail to me. Yeah. But also sometimes you want to get a buzz that's going to last you the whole show. So I decided to go with a champagne margarita today. There's champagne. There's tequila. There's lime juice. There's a little bit of triple sec and some agave syrup. 
fuck me up. I think it's just a really smart move to replace um, sparkling water or soda water or tonic with champagne whenever possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's supposed to... The reason that those mixers are in there is to not make it totally alcohol. But like champagne's barely alcohol. Barely. Barely alcohol. It, it is it is sugar, so I see how it tastes good in the margarita. But listen, just uh, just drink equal volume of water and make sure you have a little something in your tum. You'll be fine. Exactly. One for one ratio every time. Every time. Now that we are properly ready for the production with our buzz on, let's talk about the aptly named ghost light. Hell yeah, Julia. Fuck me up, man. If you have a ghost tattoo, tag us. I want to see it. <laughs> uh, so in practical terms, the ghost light is the light that is left on on the stage of a theater when all of the other lights are turned off. And they're usually placed at the center of the stage or at least close to the center. And it's supposed to be a safety feature. If a stage hand or a lighting operator needs to navigate the theater while the lights are off, the ghost light is there to stop them from like tripping over set pieces or tumbling down into the orchestra pit. Yeah, someone has to turn the lights on in the theater and as someone whose job that often was uh the breakers are not generally or always next to the door <laughs> they are not where you need them to be and that's why you need the ghost light yeah but true to form for actors and stagehands there is a little bit more of a superstitious reason for the ghost light oh i was told it was fully there to keep the ghosts away when people were not in the theater Yes, exactly. And as it said, nearly every theater ha that has like even a little bit of history has some kind of ghost. Yeah, it must. I love it. For example, the Belasco Theater on Broadway is notoriously haunted by its namesake, David Belasco, who in his life was known as the Bishop of Broadway. Oh. Uh, many people who worked in the theater have seen his ghost sitting on the balcony as if watching the performance or in the lobby, where some stories say that he'll chat with patrons before just disappearing. Oh, man. If I had a, if I had to be a ghost somewhere, we talked about this before, being tethered on like 46th Street would really just be the best be a good spot like any theater honestly but like if you had the ability to travel around the area and see all of the different shows as a ghost a plus that's what i'm saying is like a radius type situation or maybe you you know you can kind of work up the strength to float through the wall and go next door to see whatever's over there precisely radio city music hall is also said to be haunted by its builder sl roxy rothefeld oh the new Amsterdam theater is said to be haunted by the ghost of an actress named Olive Thomas, who was a part of the infamous Ziegfeld Follies. Yes. In order to appease the ghost, two portraits of her hang backstage and every member of the production wishes her good morning and good night whenever they enter and exit the theater. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love theater. God, I miss it. Or even a more ancient ghost is said to haunt several theaters. The ghost of Thespis himself. What? So uh, for those of you who don't know theater history, Thespis is often historically noted as the quote unquote first actor in that he was a Greek performer who was the first to step out of the Greek chorus and play an actual character rather than just like recounting a story. As such, he is known as the father of all thespians, which we get our namesake from. But if something is to go wrong during a production or in a theater that doesn't have its own well-known ghost, it is said that the production is haunted 
haunted by the ghost of Thespis. Lovely. It's very cute. I like him being like, my time has come. My people are calling me. <laughs> he's he's like he's like a swing. He's like a swing for any theater that has not yet developed its own ghost, which I think is a really sweet way of kind of blessing new theater spaces. There you go. That is absolutely true. So because of all of these hauntings, we see the superstitious reason for the ghost light. Some say that the ghost light is so that the ghosts of the theater can perform on stage when no one is there, which appeases them and stops the production from facing their ire. Others say that the ghost light actually works to ward off ghosts, keeping them away from the stage and I guess like where the action is. Either way, the practical purpose of the ghost light is probably preventing new theater ghosts from joining the ranks of those haunting the theater because it is hopefully preventing accidents that could befall the casting crew. That's a very good point. I I think my headcanon is that it's the exact same reason stopping new ghosts from coming in. But I I like to, and if I ever write like a fantasy novel, this is definitely the direction I'd go in. Uh, So TMTM. TMTM. Theaters are places of cosmic significance and that having an empty stage is an invitation for somebody to come in and fill it. And, you know, it's new worlds, new ideas. It's people making up new lives or, you know, reviving old lives there every single day by playing characters. And so having a light on and a, and a spiritual presence, you know, a light that is imbued with everybody's, you know, belief stops other people, other ghosts from coming in because it says like the theater is occupied even now at night. I mean, we've said it on the show so many times, but in our mind, ghosts are just like imprinted memories of things exactly. that happened in that place. Yeah. And that's kind of what theater is too, you know, because you're, you keep doing the same performance over and over again of words that were written in the past and you are reenacting those words and those actions. And I think that's why theaters and acting and ghosts kind of all play into the same vibe and the same hand. Yeah, like I I know it's true for me in just four years in the same theater, but I imagine anybody who's worked in a theater, a single one longer than that, you know, you walk into work every day and how many memories come back to you of how many different kinds of lives and audiences and productions and people. So I I think it really is, it's a place that uh, evokes memory in its like everyday life and certainly for people who build up many memories of it over time. Absolutely. So speaking of lights, because we've just talked about our ghost light, you can probably imagine why lighting candles in a theater is a bad idea, right? Yeah, no, I get it. You're kind of you're asking to evoke somebody. Well, also back when theaters were all wood and could easily burn, oh, yeah. uh, open flames were a risk that most people were not willing to take. Definitely. I mean, the original Globe Theater where Shakespeare put on his shows literally burned to the ground because they thought it was a good idea to set off an actual cannon during a production of Henry VIII. Yes, they did. They, they did that. They super did that and it didn't go well. I love that history has forgotten the name of the person who suggested it. <laughs> They, they very much in telling the story were like, yeah, it just it happened. Somebody did it like it was it was a production decision. And, you know, John, who had the idea and is like, listen, my brother is a canon. It's going to be sick. Fucking let's do it. It's like cowering in the corner. <laughs> Don't even talk about it, John. We'll never mention your name. Don't worry about nope. it. It'll be forgotten. If, if Billy asks what happened, we won't mention your name. Nope. Let's go across the river and, uh, and and steal some theater. Nowadays, we can take more precautions and, and theaters because of building codes and safety features are definitely not as flammable as they once were. But superstition in theater always rules and rumors still say that you should never light a trio of candles on the stage. Because significance? Uh, because it's said that 
not only because they're three times more likely to cause a fire, which is my hot take, but (laughs) because it is said that whoever stands closest to the shortest candle of the trio will die. What? Yep. Just with the superstitious energy of threes? Is there a three in particular here? Yeah, no, I think just three is a strong number. Probably like I'm thinking like Shakespeare and we'll talk about it later, but the witches of Macbeth, for instance. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil it. (laughs) We'll get there. Don't worry. Uh, But also like it's morbid, but the the shortest candle is the most likely to burn out the quickest. So if you're standing near the shortest one, your candle's going to get snuffed out sooner. I think that's incredibly funny. There's a little (laughs) bit of logic there. It's like a nugget of logic there. Yeah, it really. and, And I know like. I know proper uh, bad hazing happens within theater and certainly did at our school. But I do like the the gentle joshing of new people to be like, oh, yeah, like, come, like, light this candle with us. Like, oh, like, it's a nice little thing we do. And then you're like, you're the shortest one. You're going to die. <laughs> it's very much like the 13th person at the table, uh, you know, yes. will rise up and they'll be the first to die. Yeah, totally. And obviously, Amanda, obviously, we, we have to finish out and talk about in this episode. Macbeth. Oh, sorry, Julia, I have to go. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps the most well-known and often parodied superstition of the theater, which is the Scottish play. I came back. I just ran around the building uh, laying salt behind me. So if you don't know from theater uh, what the big deal is when it comes to Macbeth, there honestly is not a single theater person who hasn't heard that Shakespeare's Macbeth is plain old bad luck. It's cursed. Yeah. It's cursed. It is. That is all anybody ever says about it. Like someone might have a memory of someone whose friend, you know, whatever, but that's not ever the origin story, unlike urban legends. It's just like, this is true yes. and this is why we do it. So to even utter its name in a theater is to said to burn productions down, sometimes quite literally. Mm-hmm. So Macbeth was first performed in 1606, and ever since, productions of the show have been plagued by misfortune. The most superstitious thespians will say that the witchcraft and incantations used in the show may be more real than Shakespeare might have intended, or maybe he did intend it. Mm. It does have three witches that are extremely funny and uh, an integral to the plot and the vibe of the show. So when I hear three candles, anything kind of in threes associated with the theater, that's sort of my first uh, association. Yeah. Where shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain? When Hurley Burley's done, when the battle's lost and won, that'll be air the set of sun, where the place upon the heath there to meet with Macbeth. Great. Macbeth. <laughs> Which is how you really should say it. Anyway. Some more practical reasons that the show is associated with accidents has to do with the fact that it has a lot more sword fighting than the average Shakespeare play. Oh, my God. A full battle. Which uh, always leads to accidents. Just always does. And a famous soliloquy of a character uh, slowly kind of losing touch with reality while clutching a dagger. Not great. No. Uh, In fact... In two separate 17th century productions, an actor was killed because a real dagger was swapped in for a prop one. No! (laughs) The body count on Macbeth is high. You'll see. Yoinks. So these aren't the only notable incidents of the Scottish play wreaking havoc. Julia, fully fuck me up with this one. Like, I I have nothing to do for the next hour. I'm here. We're going to start with probably the most infamous and the highest body count for a production of (laughs) Macbeth. In 1849, a production of Macbeth was put on at the Astor Opera House in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. which coincided directly with the Astor Place riot, which killed up to 31 people and injured more than 120. 
Yeah, and like fully kind of changed the industry and uh, arts in New York City and also that part of Manhattan, which is right next to where I went to school. It's it's like one of those public incidents that I'm sure lots of big cities have, but I was shocked when I learned about it that I hadn't known about it before. It was the highest loss of like non-military life since the Revolutionary War at that point. Wow. Buckwild. So uh, the politics behind the riot are a little bit more complicated than I can really dig into in this podcast. Uh, but what it comes down to was that there were two productions of Macbeth happening at the same time. One production starred Edwin Forrest, who was perhaps the most well-known American actor at the time, and a equally popular English actor named William Charles McCready. So the riots were deeply rooted in classism and nativism. So rich Anglophile theater goers favored McCready's performance while the working class Americans who were feeling alienated from English culture preferred the work of Forrest. What ended up happening was that Forrest's supporters bought a bunch of tickets for McCready's performance at the Astor Opera House and started throwing things at the stage like rotten eggs and apples and shoes and potatoes and uh, quote unquote, like stinky liquid. <laughs> it's not unlike stunks yes. and stunk 821. So McCready was obviously really pissed about this and was like, nah, I'm out of here. But a bunch of rich New Yorkers, including Washington Irving and Herman Melville, super rich dudes, yeah. super rich, convinced him to stay and continue performing. So three days later, when the play was scheduled to begin again, 10,000 people showed up to protest and wound up like just decimating the theater with rocks, trying to set it on fire, and they got into armed conflicts with the police. McCready somehow managed to finish his performance, though most of it was done in pantomime because he couldn't be heard over the noise both inside and outside the theater. Whoa. And he manages to like sneak out in disguise. Damn. I mean, where where better than the theater to have to disguise yourself, but damn. Yes. So the whole thing comes to a head when soldiers are called in and try to disperse the crowd by first firing into the air and then point blank into the crowd itself. It's fucking horrible. The result, like I said, is more than 120 people were injured and up to 31 people died. Less obviously important than the loss of life, the Astor Opera House became known as the Massacre Opera House and the Disaster Place, which is a oh. very a very good pun. I know I know we just talked about a bunch of people dying, but that's a very good pun. Oh fuck, let's come back to that. That's so good. Yes. And it only survived another season before it's closed its doors for good. Yes, it it was like a terrible loss of a landmark for New York City and you know, I would hope and think that that kind of building would still be down there cuz that is an area of the city where um you know, cool old stuff is preserved. But let's just uh, do a little U-turn there, Julia. Disaster Place is so good. Disaster Place is extremely good and extremely funny and I can just imagine like the New York Tribune running so many headlines. <laughs> Particularly because, A, okay, it's up the block from the Village Voices headquarters. And I just think that that is fantastic. B, it is at the nexus of like four different colleges. And it is notorious for, you know, teenagers running amok, drinking and like being out at all hours of the night, you know, in the city at all times. So every every person who's gone to school in New York City has had a night that could definitely be recapped as disaster place. <laughs> Yes, yes, they really have. Oh, boy. They used to have a 24-hour cafe there uh, where lots of nights ended. Mm, yes. So the Astor Place riot certainly is the most extreme version of the curse of the Scottish play. But there 
are several other notable cursed performances that I want to talk about, uh, such as injuries from the old Vic's 1937 performance, for instance. An English actress named Diana Wynard fell 15 feet during the sleepwalking scene of the show, though true to form, the show went on and she was able to finish performing, which is very oh impressive. Oh my god. That is the last scene for Lady Macbeth, though, so she probably just, like, powered through and was like, all right, no more. Yeah, but, like, not a ton of painkiller options back then. Yeah, yeah. Charlton Heston managed to burn himself during a production in 1954 in, like, an outdoor theater in Bermuda because someone apparently dipped his tights in kerosene. What? Yeah, that's a thing that happened. And then later... In a different performance, but like the same like production, the wooden set of Macbeth's castle was set on fire on purpose for effect because it was an outdoor performance in Bermuda. Yeah. But because of the wind, the flames and smoke blew into the audience and luckily no, no one was seriously injured. But like, that's just buck wild. That is so amazing. I would love to put out a call for recommendations to anybody who likes mystery novels. If you have a favorite mystery novel set in a theater, I would love to read it. Um, I know there's a great episode of my favorite show, Elementary, set in a theater having to do with uh, a ballet dancer and like a very novel and very theatrical way um, of killing her. But I I would love that. There are so many options. There's so many options. Oh my God. The Di Maria II National Theater in Lisbon burned down in 1964 while Macbeth was being performed. Oh, no. Peter O'Toole's Macbeth in 1980 was so poorly reviewed that the theater company fully disbanded after it performed. Oh, poor guy. Oh, no. Uh, and then tragically, in 1988, uh, Bancho Banchevsky, who is a Bulgarian singer and an actor, uh, died by suicide during a nationally broadcast performance of Macbeth at the Metropolitan Opera house in new york oh fuck yeah invoking the name of macbeth in a theater requires one as is tradition to cleanse themselves and each theater has a different tradition on how that is done amanda you seem to remember what ours was do you want to tell the audience ours was to uh to run around the school it's probably like a quarter mile maybe a little bit bigger than that maybe closer to a half but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm trying to picture the track like uh, extended around, I think shirtless, uh, though mostly it was the, the tech boys that did it. Maybe mm -hmm. they just did it that way for fun. Um, and then something involving salt, maybe like throwing salt over your shoulder outside as well. Yeah, I vaguely remember having to spin rather than doing the running. I think the, mm -hmm. the hardcore people would run, but the rest of yeah. us would do some spins. I never did. I went outside, tossed salt over my shoulder and said, I'm in charge. Yes, <laughs> I'm in charge. I'm the captain now. So uh, popular ones include spitting over your left shoulder, uh, swearing, and uh, probably my favorite, which is uh, reciting lines from other Shakespeare plays, such as Hamlet's Angels and Ministers of Grace Defend Us, If We Shadows Have Offended from A Midsummer Night's Dream, mm -hmm. and Fair Thoughts and Happy Hours Attend on You from The Merchant of Venice. Yeah, or The End of the Tempest, I would imagine, would be really suitable. Yeah. The probable reason behind the idea that the play is cursed is slightly more mundane. And this is like the general idea of Macbeth being cursed, not the like terrible things that I described earlier. Sure. Uh, but Macbeth, simply put, is one of Shakespeare's most popular plays, both to perform and for audiences to go see. So theaters that were in financial trouble would often put these on as a last ditch effort to sell tickets. And so the association between the show and theater going out of business or closing aren't too much of a stretch because it's like, listen, we'll try Macbeth and if this doesn't work, we're done. <laughs> we have a shoestring budget. Let's skimp on safety. Someone bring a dagger. It'll be fine. <laughs> Precisely. That's, that's about it. 
I think it kind of just ends up begging the question, what is it about theater that invokes so many strange and varied superstitions? Is it just that thespians are inherently superstitious? Or maybe it's the inherent uncertainty of the business, like I mentioned earlier. You never really know if a show is going to be a flop or a hit, even if it's been rehearsed for months or has the most talented cast. The lack of control opens the floodgates to ritual and superstition. To a certain extent, they do work. The Irish Times in an article called, quote, Break a leg, Macbeth. Why are actors so superstitious? <laughs> Peter Crawley writes, quote, Good luck superstitions, knocking on wood, keeping lucky items, were found to have psychological benefits in a study by Richard Wiseman and Caroline Watt. A more recent pleasing study by Lizanne Damish, Barbara Stobrock, and Thomas Musweiler, in which participants proved better at throwing golf balls into a cup when they were told their ball was lucky, showed that a belief in luck improves people's performance of a skilled activity. Which I'll pause here for a second from the quote, because <laughs> that's such a weird scientific choice of a test. <laughs> It, it is. I'm sure there's a reason why. I'm sure they had a room that was only, you know, 12 feet long. Um, but I also don't know necessarily if someone else's lucky item would have that kind of effect. But I mean, clearly the, the data proves out. Yeah. To continue the quote, the logical interpretation is that superstition has a placebo effect. The cause may be bogus, but the result is real. So bolstered, theater artists or sports fans might similarly forego their rituals, whistle a happy Macbeth, issue a warm good luck, step on a crack or two. But why tempt fate? <laughs> Which I think is, is very valid. Why tempt the fate of the theater gods when it seems like the superstitions, for better or for worse, work and it's not like they're really hurting anyone oh man that's so good i i think i have two additional theories here and i, and I think all these can be true at the same time one is that theater welcomes weirdos theater welcomes the cast out people who are otherwise frowned on by society queer people lots of folks have found a home in theater that they could not find anywhere else and i think that that level of bonding and of feeling like we have traditions we have a language we have a, a culture and you know these are these are my people and if i meet someone else you know out on the road because it's a you know nomadic lifestyle a hard lifestyle often we'll have something in common and i i know that something binds me to my community even when there is no like one association, there's no one source of healthcare, there's no like national headquarters, there's no office. And I think that's that's kind of one of the backbones of theater. Yeah, it absolutely has that kind of camaraderie and brotherhood feeling to it. I know that like theater can be extremely competitive because there's only so many roles and only so many jobs and there's not a lot of people, you know, making their living on theater. But the people who are a part of it, they feel that connection to the other people in the business. And I think that is important, that you are bonded by a shared history and culture and, in a sense, a shared series of superstitions. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think my second reason, again, a little practical, but I think also is just kind of complementary of the ones we've already discussed, is that it is really, really important to trust your castmates and your crew during theater. And unlike something like a sports team where, you know, you practice in your uniform, you practice in your stadium, or at least together, you know, all of you play like, yes, you do drills and stuff, but you also play against each other, whether it's, you know, football where like you split into teams or you, you know, put on different jerseys as a basketball team and play against each other. And we don't get to do that in theater. Like you don't see what the whole production looks like 
and have that confidence that it'll all come together until, for most of us, opening night. And so you go on and you rehearse in groups or, you know, the, the crew does their thing and you see maybe the lights one day, maybe the costumes the next day, maybe, you know, for once you have all the set pieces and you do a full run through and there's disaster or at least a, an iffy rehearsal. But you need something to kind of yeah, like bring you all together to make you trust each other to kind of get to that camaraderie faster because theater doesn't make a lot of money and having ample time to bond and do lots of rehearsal is generally not most people's experience. So I think it's kind of like a practical, you know, confidence building, uh, team building. I have to trust you all because I do something dangerous or am at minimum like putting my job and reputation on the line because my great performance in a bad production still reflects badly on me. Absolutely. And it's just like, this whole conversation is making me sad because, you know, with the pandemic happening, there's no live theater really happening right now. And that is a little depressing in a way. But I wanted to share this little fun fact with you before we, we finish up the episode, which is we talked about the ghost light earlier. And a lot of theaters, because of the pandemic and not knowing when live theater is going to reopen, they have left their ghost lights on throughout the pandemic because Aww. they're like hey we know we're going to come back eventually you know it is like the the light in the dark so to speak knowing that eventually theater theater isn't going to go the way of the ghosts Ah, uh, that's fantastic, Julia. And I think if anybody um, is moved by this episode and you can spare a couple dollars, I think the Actors Fund is a great place to recommend um, that you donate to. They provide emergency financial assistance to actors of all kinds, including theater actors uh, at actorsfund.org or your local community theater if they're doing a fundraiser. Oh, man, I I am so grateful for uh, what theater did for me. Like I, I felt like, you know, I had you as a friend and that was pretty much it until we joined our theater program and just being, being brought into a family where like, yes, you have fights. Yes. There's jealousy. Yes. There are people who are jerks, but it was a true home for me. And it's something that I miss and something I hope to find again one day being able to like volunteer and do sets or whatever for, um, other, you know, theater companies or schools nearby. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I'm, my heart goes out there to anybody who, you know, works in the field and is struggling right now. And if you ever get the chance to, you know, pledge your support on a petition or with money or with a ticket or, you know, an email campaign to arts funding and to making sure that kids get the chance to do theater in schools. If I got super rich, that is what I would give my money to for sure. Yeah. Uh, theater is literally how I met my husband. So Yay. It, it gives a lot theater in personal and, you know, emotional ways. The one teenager I trusted with power tools. That's He is the Jake. only one I trusted with power tools. 100%. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Julia, for this wonderful anniversary special. I loved it. And uh, I know that I will be misty eyed the next time I get to see a live theater and think about all these traditions. Absolutely. Happy anniversary, Amanda. And stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. At calm.com slash spirits, you can get 40% off a Calm premium subscription. In the DoorDash app, enter code CREEPYCOOL for 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more. And at betterhelp.com slash spirits, you can get 10% off your first month of counseling. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com.
Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.